Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Alex Wickham. Coming up on today's programme, Margaret Hodge and the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill currently going through the Lords. But first... So, uh, this article, Alex, caught my eye. The Daily Mail has been writing about AI, artificial intelligence. Apparently, Tory MPs accusing Google's uh, new bot, algorithm, whatever you want to call it, of left-wing bias. This really grabbed my attention because over the weekend I was reading a lot about artificial intelligence and about how just even using that term is leading us down the road of thinking that this is sentient, this is thinking, computing, when it really isn't, it is kind of seeped with all of the biases that human beings have, right? Because humans have written it, but... Absolutely. No, I, I I remember the days of Tory MPs complaining that the BBC was biased against them. <laughs> and now we've moved on. It's now, you know, chat, chat GPT is biased against them. You know, I mean, what can you do? Is there going to be a is there going to be an offcom for, for chat GPT to, to... Well, listen, I, I get that. No, I, I understand. On the one hand, you would think that it's it's the argument is in their favour if I say that actually there are biases built in. Um, but yes, is there going to be a regulator? I don't know. I, yeah, I think um, I do think it does perhaps give us a false picture, though. These AI bots, they kind of regurgitate. They basically are predictive text. They, they scrape from the internet, essentially, yeah. don't they? That's what they're doing, you know, at the moment. Maybe one day they'll, they'll, they'll develop a bit more. But certainly when you use these things at the moment, it seems to be that they're quite cleverly Picking bits off the internet and yes. regurgitating. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's a sort of slightly farcical article, a bit, a bit of a kind of silly argument, and one, as you say, that has been used many times before. On the other hand, I kind of do have a bit of sympathy. Oh yeah, totally. And and certainly, you know, the more that this is used, the mm. more that you can see this sort of thing becoming a, a perhaps a more more serious issue raised yeah. by politicians. Um, and you know, if if it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Ultimately, for yeah. if you're a Tory MP and you see something like this beginning, you know, where does it where does it go? As people increasingly use it, yeah, no, and it was the Elon Musk argument around Twitter, right? Free freedom of speech, etc. No, so I thought that that sort of grabbed uh, my attention uh, in terms of AI and what it means for politics will it actually mean regulation more swiftly and if, if it affects the political parties or maybe I'm being a little cynical anyway let's move on though um, so the Labour MP Margaret Hodge uh, who's obviously a veteran uh, MP she's uh, sat for more than 30 years she's the chair of the Public Accounts Committee between 2010-2015 uh, she's now the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on anti-corruption and responsible taxation which is obviously the informal cross-party group well she spoke to us a little bit earlier 
about the Economic Crime and Transparency Bill, which is going through the House of Lords right now. This is the bill to reform companies housed in limited partnerships. And we began by asking her whether she actually thinks that this bill is going to be effective, whether it's going to deal with the issues that London and the UK has. Um, I think it is an essential piece of legislation to put in place, but we're dealing with a very complex, big issue and uh, legislation on its own will not be the answer. Let me just talk about the size of the problem first. Uh, We've got various uh, estimates and guesstimates around about how much money is lost to the UK economy through economic crime, mainly fraud and money laundering. But you're talking in the region, the most recent estimate is about £350 billion. That's about 15% or more of GDP. So it's a massive sum. And we've allowed really Britain to become one of the destinations for dirty money in the world over a long period of time. I think it started with Mrs Thatcher when she had the big bang. Uh, to encourage the growth of financial services. And it went on with the deregulation under the Blair and Brown governments. So trying to undo all that with one piece of legislation is a tough ask. But this is an essential brick that we've got to put in, in place. I just wanted to ask you, Margaret, on Companies House specifically, something we've written a lot about at Bloomberg. It's obvious that this is you know, a, a lax area. Do you think the reforms that are going through Parliament are going to change that? Will it make a difference? Uh, I mean, my criticism of the bill is twofold. One is that uh, the government's desire to really reform Companies House so that we have uh, a source of information that can be trusted, not just a library of duff data, which is where we're at at the moment. I don't think they're achieving that objective. So what even what they're setting out to do, won't they won't get there. And the second thing is not only... And that's not enough. Reforming Companies House is too unambitious, given the level of ambition that they said they needed. So let me just take you to Companies House in the first instance. Um, You've got at the moment, it is full of absolutely, uh, completely and utter duff data. Uh, You are supposed to say who is the beneficial owner of the company that you set up. There are 4,000 companies where the beneficial owner is under two. And indeed, one of the companies, Atlas Integrated Limited, again, with a a beneficial owner under two, but she really has been busy because she managed to get married, according according to the data there. There are 335,000 companies Mm. that yet have to declare who their beneficial owner is. There are five owners who control over 6,000 companies. It's tough. But sorry, I'm going on about this. No, but I was going to say, though, that things are moving in the right direction, at least when it comes to, for example, the UK's foreign property register, which has sort of really helped in terms of unmasking beneficial owners. As you say, it's a very, very difficult area to crack. But we spoke to the minister, you know, at the time, who was adamant about tough enforcement, you know, on the beneficial owners of of, uh, property uh, ownership in the UK, that the enforcement around that had already begun from HMRC. So in a sense, actually, you know, the war in Ukraine and the issue with with, um, Russian oligarchs in the UK, the government has changed significantly its tune on this. I think the the war in Ukraine and the role of the Russian oligarchs has changed the environment. But I was just going to say on the company's house, uh, the government have decided that they're going to uh, outsource uh, 
to company service providers the task of verifying the data so we get accurate data about who owns the company. They're outsourcing it to the very people who have been putting in the Duff data to date. And if you don't regulate those professionals properly, if you don't check them, supervise them, kick out the bad apples, you'll simply create another Duff database. When you come to the property register, again, the intent was good, but the detail of the legislation, as we said to them at the time, has failed. So there are still 52,000 properties in the UK owned by foreign companies where where it is completely anonymous as to who owns them. And the other issue, so you can set up a trust in BVI and make the trust the owner of the property in Mayfair, and you're none the wiser as to who is the actual person behind it with the wealth that bought the, com- the house. Absolutely. I, I suppose the other issue... You know, given the scale of it, is resources. I mean, HMRC, you know, isn't even pursuing known fraud from from COVID loans. I mean, how on earth is it going to have the resources to deal with all this overseas dirty money coming to the UK? Is that is that another issue that that the government has addressed or isn't addressing enough? Do you think? Um, I think that's absolutely. You're absolutely right. Enforcement. It's no point having legislation if you don't enforcement enforce it. And at the moment, if you look at anything, you know, you look at the SFO. They've halved the number of criminal investigations they're undertaking. Uh, money laundering prosecutions are down by a third. So you've got to resource them, and we have got amendments down uh, to try and tackle that. Again, to put it into context, it costs 12 quid to set up a company in the UK. Um, in New York, you're, you're spending $570. In BVI, you're spending £1,000. You could increase that to £100, ring fence the income yeah. you get from it. It's not a tax, it's a fee. Ring fence it and put it directly into uh, it, it, into enforcement. And the other thing you could do, which the Americans are so much better at than we are, is you could also ring fence the fines that you uh, receive for, for from successful enforcement and recycle them into yes. further enforcement. But I suppose the main question is, you know, we're looking to the next general election. A lot of people think that this government actually you know debatable but that they may be coming into the last few months and that this is going to be something that the Labour Party has to deal with is there that the problem for the UK has always been will the determination to get to grips with this do you really believe that Keir Starmer prosecutor as he was actually has the determination to deal with this issue Yes, I am confident, and I'll tell you why, because I think the long-term health of our financial services sector uh, depends on our restoring our reputation as a trusted jurisdiction. When we're seen as the dirty, uh, as as the jurisdiction of choice for dirty money, we lose that reputation. There's much more clean money around the world than there is dirty money. So actually extracting the dirty money from the UK restoring our reputation of trusted jurisdiction, having smart regulation that people can trust, not over-regulation, just smart regulation with proper enforcement, total accountability, good transparency, will attract uh, business to the UK, will support our financial services sector. There's one reform that we haven't talked about, which I think is the key one that could be the game changer. And that is, at the present, all this dirty money is brought in, not you know, the, the bad actors, the criminals, the money launderers, the petrocrats, 
don't know about the schemes. They are invented by the professionals, whether they be accountants, lawyers or banks. And we want to bring in what is called a failure to prevent. So if these professionals fail to prevent money laundering or fraud, they will be liable for criminal prosecution. And we're not bringing this in because we want to bang up in prison all these professionals. We want to bring it in because it's a tool that would really change behavior. And we have evidence in uh, uh, the Bribery Act, in tax evasion, and most important, in the, even in things like health and safety, that if you introduce personal criminal liability for a company and for its directors, that is the best way of ensuring mm. a change in behavior. Absolutely. Um, Margaret, I wanted to get your reaction to some reports today that uh, Jeremy Corbyn won't be allowed to stand as a Labour MP. Um, Keir Starmer's yeah, made this pretty clear before, but it's absolutely, it absolutely seems to be confirmed today. This is obviously an issue you talked about a lot in the past. You've called Corbyn an anti-Semitic racist. Um, what is your reaction to that news that Corbyn won't be allowed to stand? Um, sad, but welcome. Um, sad because, you know, Corbyn has been a Labour MP for a very long time. It's always, uh, uh, you know, sad to lose that. But um, I could not see any circumstances under which Jeremy Corbyn could stand as a Labour candidate in Keir Starmer's Labour Party. So I'm glad that he's confirmed that. How much do you think that the Labour Party on that issue around anti-Semitism has changed under Keir Starmer? Oh, massively. I mean, it's, it's exceeded my expectations I think when you let uh, uh, something like anti-Semitism move from the fringes to the mainstream, which we did uh, during uh, the Corbyn era, uh, expelling it uh, and uh, ensuring zero tolerance of anti-Semitism is a tough task. It's easy to crow, it's tougher to kill. But we have uh, both through uh, ensuring that uh, we've expelled a lot of anti-Semites. Actually, not allowing Jeremy Corbyn to stand is very symbolic of the tough approach that uh, uh, Keir Starmer has taken. In introducing training programmes now for anybody who is a position of some authority within the Labour Party structure uh, is all important. But tr changing the culture will take time and building confidence with the Jewish community cannot be achieved overnight. Um, on, a, on another issue that was uh, a big deal for Corbyn as well, Russia, um, the biggest foreign policy challenge really faced by the, the UK right now. Do you get the sense that we've taken the right approach so far? Um, in relation to U Ukraine, I mean, I would say that there are a lot of problems dealing across the world. China is also a, a big challenge. Um, I think we have not been tough enough on the kleptocrats, particularly in relation to uh, Russia's role in Ukraine. So there is something like 300 billion pounds of Russian assets across the world that have been frozen, but not seized by authorities. And we in the UK have sanctioned um, nearly 1500 individuals, uh, 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 many of them uh, uh, oligarchs with a, a lot of money. We don't know how much money is frozen. I would like to see that money not just frozen, but seized and repurposed uh, for the Ukraine. And together with um, a large number of MPs, we've written to both the Prime Minister and the Foreign Secretary, suggesting three 
options that they could look at, which again they could bring in under the economic crime, which would allow us not just to freeze mm. assets, but seize them and repurpose them. I mentioned that there may be 18 months, 21 months or so uh, to the next general election, depends when it's called. There's a big danger, isn't there, for the party now that that Rishi Sunak's government could hoover up all of the Labour Party policies. I mean, we've seen it happen with the energy price cap, with the windfall tax, with support for childcare costs, now potentially this week with crime. Is there that big danger that the, the big policy areas are going to be grabbed by Sunak? <laughs> I don't think so, because we're still living, uh, you know, with 13 years of complete uh, destruction of many of our public services. I mean, you know, uh, we, we'll see the, whether you talk about the NHS or schools or, or, or social care, any of these big public services uh, during the austerity, they've been cut uh, and are not now delivering, you know, what the citizens of Britain want. I don't think you can turn that round. I think the Conservative Party is still hugely divided in a way that Labour was under Corbyn. But we are now a very strong, united, determined party under uh, un, uh, under um, uh, Keir Starmer. And actually, if they nick up every idea we've got, doesn't that show we're right? And I, we have, there are plenty more that will come out between now and the general election, which I think will give people a sense of where we're going the values and purposes that underpin us, the sort of hope and vision that we have, we want to give to the British public who are living with such misery at the moment, um, I don't think they can rescue themselves. I think they are too far gone. Yeah. They're tired. They're out of ideas. They're divided. And they're not capable, really, of ruling any longer in the interests yeah. of the British people. There was a there was a big story at the weekend on uh, Matt Hancock and Kwasi Kwarteng sort of caught in a sting, uh, talking about taking ten thousand pounds a day to consult for a, a fake company that's not actually against the rules at the moment. Uh, Labour says you know no to second jobs. Is is this something that Labour would be able to fix if they got into power? Well, they would do. Uh, um, you know, uh, I th- I think it, I was appalled by the what happened over the weekend and uh, the idea that it, there's a sort of presumption among the political class that because you've become a politician, you're then entitled to these vast sums of money for crazy, you know, very limited advice that you can give. I can't believe any a sensible corporate entity would consider <laughs> giving either Kwasi Kwarteng or, Mark, uh, or Matt Hancock 10 grand a day really? or whatever. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that you say that, though. I mean, we know many, I, many ministers I, I, do this on both sides. They're worth it. I'm flabbergasted. They think they're worth it. But then why but, why do the rules not prevent it? I mean, there's no there's been no move yeah. for decades yeah. to stop this, and it's I mean, will the Labour Party actually tackle this, or will we end up with the, the same issue with other ministers? No, no. I hope to goodness the Labour Party do, do does tackle this issue. It's being an MP, representing your constituents, doing the work in Parliament, keeping the government to account if you're a backbencher, thinking through policies and ideas that uh, could, uh, you know, improve people's quality of life. That's more than a full-time job, I can tell you. It's more Yes, but but how do you stop that? Would there genuinely be a ban on consulting jobs? I mean, there's been a long debate around the last two, three years around this issue, and nobody's really been able to 
say that they would stamp it out and that, you know, the 70, 80,000 that an MP has paid, that that would be that? Um, I think there are plans. Have I seen them in detail? I can't, so I can't tell you exactly how they would do it. But there is certainly a mood and a, uh, a desire uh, from the Labour front bench to uh, ensure that we all do our jobs properly as MPs, which is more than a full-time job. So that was Margaret Hodge, uh, MP, joining us. Absolutely fascinating, I thought, not just on economic crime, but also on the Labour Party. She, I thought, was quite strong on whether or not um, Keir Starmer would deal with you know, the long-running second job row. This is a tricky issue in politics. It has been. It always has been. And certainly, you know, there are Labour, senior Labour politicians, the Shadow Foreign Secretary, David David Lammy, who who has outside interests and other work outside of, of Westminster. You know, it's lucrative for these MPs. There are MPs who are nurses on the side and things like that. You know. Oh, but come on, that comes into a different basket, surely. We know that. I mean, it's it's about those kind of consultancy type jobs. That's the, that's the issue that people really have. But is it consultancy if you're giving a speech to someone and they're mm. paying you 50 grand or something like that you know what's the sort of chat that then goes on behind the closed doors afterwards you know that sort of thing is where we get into a bit of a blurred area yeah absolutely it's gray and shades of gray look what are the other issues though alex that you've got on your radar of course um immigration it sounded like there were going to be a series of rebellions over one of the prime minister's key pledges uh, the small boats issue what has happened yeah rishi sunak's got his small boats bill going through the commons uh at the moment and he's sort of out he's sort of got two issues on either flank of the conservative party on the right he's got uh backbench mps who want a tougher position on the uh, european european convention on human rights i mean ultimately they want to they really want to some of those right wingers want to take the uk out of the echr at the at, at the very minimum at the moment they want to sort of derogate they call it from certain aspects of it and and sort of you know allow britain to ignore areas of the echr but then also on the more centrist uh, wing of the conservative mm. party you've got mps who are saying no well we will so want you to open up uh, some safe routes for for migrants. We want you to sort of add protections for for under under eighteens minors. Uh, so he's, he's, Sunak's got a couple of things to deal with. This mm-hmm. is there's an extent to which this is part of the normal legislative process of MPs coming and saying, "Oh, we don't like this. We don't like this. Can you co- compromise?" And I think the government will compromise in a couple of these areas. Certainly the big threat is on, on the ECHR. And yes. that, at the moment, the rebels on the right wing just don't quite have the power or the sort of drive to, to move that forward right now. I think this is a, a question for another day. Well, wasn't that shown highlighted last week, of course? I mean, Rishi Sunak did seem to come off quite a strong week last week. Why are there challenges now to his authority? I mean, he saw off Liz Truss and Boris Johnson in a vote. Yeah, he's he's in a he's in a strong position in terms of internal politics at the moment. It certainly could be a lot worse. Bigger picture nationally is another question. Twenty odd points behind in, in some of the some of the polls. Ah. But but in the in terms of internal politics, he's not under you know immediate peril from the right wing. He's 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 capable of seeing them off on Brexit. He's capable of seeing off this immediate threat. I would have thought on the ECHR he might compromise a bit just to keep them happy in the meantime the real question though is going to be a few months down the line as we get closer to the general election Mm -hmm. will those mps get louder again will that will that authority that sunak has at the moment still be uh you, you know as strong and ultimately when it comes to the conservative manifesto at the next election is taking the uk out of the echr something that's in there Yes, won't that be interesting to understand? Well, look, the other the other issue, though, and another interesting bill is the crime bill. 
After the Metropolitan Police um, report, the the Casey report around the failings of the Met Police, which really was kind of um, a huge moment in terms of the damning criticism of British policing, now there is a crime bill, and there's a lot of focus on this on Keir Starmer. We saw him at PMQs last week talking talking about it, and he had, you know a lot of strong lines. Obviously, as a former prosecutor, do we now think that this is going to be election battle territory? Absolutely, you know, pretty much every election crime crime tends up to be a big issue. Certainly, the the right wing party you know, typically tends to pursue it. The difference this time is the Tories have been in power for thirteen years, and it's all you know. Maybe Rishi Sunak hasn't personally been in charge for thirteen years, but it's all well and good a Conservative Prime Minister standing up and giving a speech or giving a, making an announcement about how he's going to fix crime and solve antisocial behaviour. Well, you know what what's been going on for the for the last you know few but Conservative governments. Alex- so I want to press you on antisocial behaviour. You know, is this really where the crime issue is? You know, having people sort of clear up their own graffiti. I mean, the issue is about the number of rape cases and serious crimes. Well, you, you absolutely. And certainly, you know, in, in towns across England, the antisocial behaviour will be will be a big issue. You'll get strategists in the Conservative Party and the Labour Party telling the politicians, oh, we've got to talk about this sort of things like graffiti and nitrous oxide. But at the end of the day, I thought the thing that was really interesting for Rishi Sunak's sort of Q&A with voters this morning was they were saying to him, yeah, it's all well and good you doing an announcement about laughing gas, but there are existing crimes, serious crimes that the police aren't investigating, burglaries, rapes, they aren't getting convictions on these things. Mm. What are you doing about that? And I'm I'm afraid, I think, if I was a Labour strategist looking at the Prime Minister's answers, I'd be pretty happy because he didn't really seem to have much of an answer on some of those some of those key serious areas. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, okay, very interesting. So th- flags, markers to think about then for the rest of the week in politics. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Alex Wickham. And I'm Caroline Hepke. It's been lovely having you on the programme, Alex. Really good to chat. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.